0: everybody and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies. I'm Jason Shulman. We've got a great show for you today. My guest is Sarah Phillips Castile, who teaches at Carleton University. Here to talk about her new book, Calypso Jews, Jewishness in the Caribbean Literary Imagination, published this year by Columbia University Press.
1: Sarah, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's great to have you. So, so this book is a study of representations of Jewishness in Caribbean literature who knew that Judaism was even a topic for these writers? How did you come across this subject?
1: Well, I guess I came about. Uh, I came across it somewhat accidentally. I was working on my first book, uh, which was a study of the representation of rural landscapes in diaspora writing in the Americas. Uh, and as I was working through some of the Caribbean material, I noticed. Uh, I started to notice a pattern in which Caribbean writers were referencing Jewish experience, and that really intrigued me. Uh, and I, I you know, started with a few isolated examples, but started to gather more and more of these examples and realized it was part of a larger pattern. And that made me really uh, wonder what accounted for that. What attracted these Caribbean writers to, uh, to Jewish experience? Why were they uh, repeatedly making reference to it?
0: Right. You say, at first glance, depictions of Jews and Jewish history in post-war Caribbean literature may seem a rather obscure topic of investigation. But it, it becomes less obscure when you realize uh, how prominent a role Jewish characters and Jewish themes are in post-war Caribbean and diaspora authors. Uh, you know, how, how prevalent is this? I mean, you said you start, started off with a few examples and then you just kept finding more and more.
1: Uh, it is. I, I would say it's a significant pattern in a number of uh, major authors. But it, it was a pattern that really hadn't been recognized, hadn't been identified uh, and I think that's because it really um, is a topic that falls between two different fields, between Jewish studies and uh, Caribbean studies. So part of what I've been trying to do with the book is to bring those two fields together. Uh, but I think because of the way in which those two fields haven't traditionally talked to each other, uh, this, this was missed, this pattern. Um, uh, but uh, And so particularly, there was one example that had come to critics' attention, and that's a novel by Carol Phillips called The Nature of Blood, which is a Holocaust novel. And it had been talked about quite a bit, but talked about as an isolated example, as exceptional. Uh, and what I try to do in the book is to show that there's a broader context for that novel, that it's actually not as unique, although it's very important, uh, it's not unique. It, there are other uh, examples of Caribbean writers um, speaking about the Holocaust and other aspects of Jewish experience in similar terms.
0: What do we know about the actual presence of, of Jews in the Caribbean, and what does a literary analysis provide that a straight historical study of the Jews of the Caribbean wouldn't?
1: That's, yeah, that's a great question. So, I when I was working on the book, I relied really heavily on some wonderful uh, historical scholarships that, that's been coming out uh, about what they uh, it's been referred to as the Jewish Atlantic, which includes uh, the colonial Caribbean. Um, so historians over the last uh, uh, few years have been uh, doing some some fascinating research on uh, particularly the Sephardic Jewish uh, presence that dates back to the 17th century in the Caribbean, and I think that in itself is a story that many people didn't know about, um, never mind this literary uh, dimension that I looked at. Um, So I, because there wasn't any literary discussion of this topic, I really spent a lot of time reading the the historical uh, scholarship of people like Jonathan Shorsch and Natalie Zeman-Davis Um, What I think, though, a literary uh, treatment adds to this discussion is partly to do with what I was uh, mentioning before, which is the way that we've studied these topics uh, in uh, academic disciplines has tended to to divide them up. So um, Jewish studies studies uh, Jewish history, uh, Caribbean studies studies uh, studies looks at uh, Caribbean experience. Uh, Writers are not bound by those kinds of um, distinctions and boundaries in the same ways that academics are. They're much freer to kind of cross over them. And because of that, I think writers in a way, before uh, some of the uh, historians of the Jewish Atlantic started doing that work, uh, writers were making those connections and showing the relationships between those different histories. Um, so that's part of what I think uh, literature contributes. The other thing I guess I would say about writing specifically about fiction is that when we're dealing uh, in part with the, the history of slavery, the archive is very um, limited, and there are all kinds of gaps in it. Historians uh, are more bound by what they can find in the archive, whereas writers have a poetic license. Um, the writers have a poetic license to, uh, to uncover um, and reimagine those uh, histories in, uh, in ways that historians can't, even though historians can speculate to a certain extent, they don't have that same poetic license and freedom.
0: Mm-hmm. So, this is a study of Caribbean and diaspora writers. Can you tell us briefly how you selected them? And is there um, just a clear definition of what a Caribbean or diaspora writer is?
1: Ah, <laughs> um, and that's a bit tricky with uh, Caribbean writing because so much of Caribbean writing is produced in the diaspora uh, in Britain, the US, Canada, uh, and, and, and France and elsewhere. Um, I looked primarily at Anglophone and Francophone Caribbean writing, uh, so I didn't look as much at the Hispanophone side. Uh, Sorry, I forgot the second part of your question.
0: Um, So so is it someone who grew up in that era, in that area, who lives there now, who who Uh, their their experiences are shaped by living there?
1: Yes, right. Okay, So, um, so, so Caribbean diaspora would mean uh, having Caribbean uh, origins uh, uh, perhaps born there, perhaps of Caribbean parentage, but yes but their sensibilities shaped uh, in some way by uh, by the, uh, their Caribbean ancestry
0: mm-hmm. and so these authors have you know inserted these Jewish characters into their novels and poems. Why are they writing about jewishness uh, you, you You look at two sets of sort of Jewish histories, one is the the Sephardim expelled from Iberia in 1492, and the other are the Calypso Jews um, who went to Trinidad in the 1930s. What did these two Jewish histories or historical narratives offer these, these writers?
1: Right, so, um, so in terms of you know, what is it that draws these writers to Jewish experience and to identify with it and sympathize with it, uh, yes, I argued um, that there are these two, uh, and the book is organized around these two moments of, of Jewish historical experience, traumatic experience. Uh, the 1492 expulsion uh, and the Holocaust. Uh, And I argue that the part of the explanation for why this pattern of reference to Jewish experience comes up in the text is that these writers are um, familiar to some extent with the fact of this uh, deep Jewish historical presence in the Caribbean dating back to the 17th century. Um, Some of these writers also uh, are aware of or suspect that they themselves have a Jewish ancestry, um, because of the way these dis, uh, different populations mixed in the Caribbean and genealogies became very entangled. Uh, so that's part of it. Um, and then uh, in terms of Holocaust memory specifically, uh, I argue, and this is partly uh, influenced by the work that Michael Rothberg did in his book Multidirectional Memory, uh, I argue that uh, writers who either um, came of age during World War II or uh, in the early post-war period, in a period when the history of slavery really wasn't being talked about, wasn't part of the public discourse, uh, the, um, their uh, encounter with representations of the Holocaust gave them a, a kind of indirect route uh, into the slavery uh, path, the memory of slavery. So uh, so it was a, a kind of circuitous way Uh, to think about uh, histories of trauma. Um, And and what's kind of distinctive about this uh, way of thinking about the relationship between uh, the Holocaust and slavery is that, it's uh, and this is again as Rosberg also argues, um, there's less of a sense of uh, competition or competitive victimhood or whose Holocaust was worse, that kind of discourse. Instead, what I found in the Caribbean writing was more of a sense that by um, looking at Um, the Holocaust they could better um, understand or or recover or reanimate the memory of slavery at the same time. So not as a relationship of competition but um, in a way in which they were mutually animating uh, memories.
0: Right and so just to follow up on that maybe you can tell us what is the usual story about um, black Jewish literary relations? Uh, We seem to focus on the US. Mm -hmm. Why in your mind do we need to look beyond the US?
1: Right yeah I think that I think the story that's more familiar to us is the u.s one uh, which is usually told as a story uh, about an alliance of African Americans and Jewish Americans that sort of forged in the early 20th century that sort of comes to you know culminates uh, during the civil rights movement but also starts to show tensions and, and to fracture and then really sort of falls apart in the early 1990s with uh, with the Crown Heights riots and with the uh, publication of the Nation of Islam's The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews. I think that's a very familiar story to us because it's been written about talked about a lot. Um, and what uh, what that story leaves out is the fact that the history of contact between blacks and Jews extends well beyond the borders of the United States and also beyond the borders of the 20th century. Uh, so what uh, sort of refocusing uh, that discussion uh, and recentering it on the Caribbean, what that does is to uh, draw to our attention this much uh, sort of deeper history that, um, that you know, well predates the 20th century. Um, and, uh, and that uh, uh, also uh, what we find in the Caribbean literary context is that instead of a kind of declining interest in the second half of the 20th century, uh, what I found was there was a rising interest in Jewishness in Caribbean writing in the 1980s and 90s and even into the uh, early 21st century.
0: Right. So maybe you could tell us why the 80s and 90s uh, specifically. It seemed like there was some that was a, a historical moment that was significant. Um, and also, these are pretty diverse texts. Uh, what do they have in common? And, and why did you choose them?
1: Hmm. So I think there are a number of things that are going on in the 80s and 90s um, for these writers that accounts for what you know why so many of these texts were published. Then um, we have, for example, the. Uh, the quincentenary of of Columbus's so-called discovery of the New World, um, 1492, though has in the context of my book this double resonance. So it recalls Columbus and the Atlantic slave trade, but also the Sephardic expulsion. So I think that's a, a kind of a powerful moment for some of these writers. It's also a period in uh, in which the Holocaust is being memorialized um, uh, as well. Uh, so um, so there are a number of different things going on. Uh, although these writers are also uh, referencing their own, uh, adolescences and thinking back on them. So thinking back to the, to the forties, fifties, sixties at the same time. Um, so that's part of, uh, what contributes, I think, to, um, to this particular trend that is different from what we see in the, uh, the U S literary tradition. Uh, yes, they are very diverse texts. Uh, that is true. Um, I guess what, uh, what they have in common is, uh, the way in which they, uh, Focus or, or draw attention to either the um, uh, the question of 1492 and interpret it in this doubled way, as I was mentioning, uh, drawing attention to Sephardic experience, the experience of of Moranos and Conversos, uh, or in terms of the second set of uh, texts, the second half of the book that I was working with, uh, they are uh, uh, texts that um, that. Speak to the way in which uh, Holocaust memory travels globally uh, and is um, is reactivated in in colonial uh, contexts, in particular, or in the context of decolonization.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned this earlier, but I want to um, just ask you about it. What is the what is the Atlantic world? It, it seems like we have to understand sort of this big circle uh, of movement that includes. Europe, North America, South America, the Caribbean, Africa. So, so maybe you can just tell us briefly what that is. And who is Paul Gilroy? He seems ah, to come up a lot.
1: Okay. Yes. Well, and Paul Gilroy is the um, the, um, the person who uh, introduces this idea of, of the black Atlantic in a, a book from the 1990s that was very influential, which really asked us to think um, transnationally about um, uh, about what sort of is created out of the uh, Atlantic slave trade, the relationships between uh, Europe, Africa, and North America, uh, and the Caribbean uh, through the Atlantic slave trade. What's happened in, um, since Paul Gilroy's book is, uh, is the sort of interest in thinking about other kinds of uh, relationships are, uh, that are created by that colonial economy and the circulation of populations and goods across uh, the Atlantic, uh, and so in that sense, we can uh, have and historians have started to think about the Jewish Atlantic. So what is the role of of Jewish populations who were very much part of that colonial economy? Uh, so historians talk about port Jews, uh, merchants, traders, brokers of various kinds who um, who uh, spread out across different uh, parts of the Atlantic world uh, and played an important role in the colonial economy, partly because of their technical skills, also because of their linguistic skills. Um, so there's the the, the sort of um, uh, 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 importance of port Jews in these networks, which is part of what the, the contemporary writers I'm looking at are recover uh, by introducing characters in some cases who are port Jews, uh, and also we have plantation Jews, which is maybe even um, sort of um, more surprising perhaps to us, uh, the way in which some Jews in the in the colonial Caribbean also became planters, plantation owners, particularly in Suriname. Uh, on the mainland uh, Caribbean, so, so that's all part of this uh, Atlantic world that is the, the historical background to the contemporary novels that I 'm analyzing.
0: Right. So before we get into the details of the book, uh, two more quick questions. Mm-hmm. The first one is, and you touched on this. Um, do you write within Jewish studies? Uh, you seem to want to push Jewish studies into more c- comparative direction, um, and you say you want to bridge the gap between p- postcolonial and Jewish studies? What would that mean?
1: Right. Uh, my training is in postcolonial studies, so I've come to the Jewish studies, I guess, uh, a little bit um, uh, indirectly uh, through this uh, interest that I had in this topic. Uh, but I think I, I've, I've come at a fortuitous moment. Uh, it seems to me to be a very interesting moment in Jewish American literary studies where there seems to be an interest in, um, uh, in reinterpreting uh, America to mean not just the United States, but the Americas. So taking a more hemispheric perspective and a more transnational or global perspective. Um, So that's where my work would uh, would fit in, I think, with a a sort of a new direction in Jewish studies. Um, So, yes, I am trying to uh, bring post-colonial studies and Jewish studies into conversation. There are two fields that I think, as I mentioned before, really haven't talked to each other. There hasn't been much uh, much um, exchange uh, between them. And yet. There really are important areas of overlap and connection, and we see that uh, in the literature uh, and in some of the anti- anti-colonial theory as well in the 1950s uh, that, that made those connections. But the academic fields haven't uh, wanted to make those connections. So that's part of what I hope uh, I hope my book can contribute is to, uh, to help to bridge those those fields.
0: Right. Um, and then the final question before we get into the, the chapters. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us just briefly about um, how you went about researching the book? Uh, obviously, you read these novels and poems, but did you did it require any travel to the Caribbean? What did you do?
1: Yes. Uh, so I, I know part of the part of the challenge was actually just identifying which novels were relevant because it wasn't a topic that had been talked about much before. Um, it was part of the challenge was simply out locating which texts uh, would uh, would fit in and speak to this topic. Um, but I did make uh, a number of trips to the Caribbean as well, which were really important for me in terms of understanding more about how Caribbean Jewishness uh, manifests itself, uh, how it's articulated in, in kind of lived experience, um, the kind of mixture of cultural influences that we see uh, in sort of very diverse um, Jewish uh, congregations in the Caribbean. Uh, and um, there were, maybe I could share with you one um, moment that I had in Barbados that uh, was um, very significant for me. I was visiting the, uh, the Jewish synagogue there, and there's a cemetery adjacent to it. Uh, this is, by the way, um, a beautiful synagogue um, that I recommend visiting that was um, supposed to have been torn down in the 1980s and was saved and restored. Uh, but in the cemetery next to it, I came across a gravestone, uh, and on the gravestone was the name Benjamin Cohen d'Azevedo. And I recognized it immediately because it was the name of one of the characters in a novel that I uh, was interested in by a Guadalupian writer named Maurice Condé. It's a novel called I, Tituba, Black Witch of Salem. And I was you know, very excited to see, um, see this name and it made me uh, speculate that perhaps the author Maurice Condé may have visited Barbados and seen this gravestone uh, and been inspired by it to create this uh, Jewish character in her novel about slavery. Um, but whether or not she was there, she's clearly referencing this uh, historical archive, and that's true of a number of the writers they're very um it's very clear from the names they give the characters that they are um, making specific reference to this history uh, and drawing inspiration from it and reimagining it uh, in various ways. So those trips were were really important for me um, uh, for those kinds of reasons and sort of understanding how the writers were relating to the uh to the historical past that you could see in sort of architectural uh traces in in uh different uh parts of the Caribbean. Um but also seeing uh, I, I attended a, a conference in Jamaica in 2010 uh that was hosted by the Jewish community in Kingston and there were a number of um of uh black people who came to the conference who were from as I recall from uh from uh, the UK, from from Canada, from uh from the US uh, and they came because of their interest in recovering their own Jewish genealogies. So that was really fascinating to me as well in terms of thinking about uh, multicultural Jewishness and the diversity of Jewish experience and um, the way in which these populations became, uh, entangled and, and mixed together, uh, in the Caribbean setting. So, so those, those trips were, although I wasn't doing archival research per se, they really helped to shape my understanding of how interconnected these histories are.
0: The book is in two parts. Uh, The first one is called 1492. And maybe you could just tell us briefly um, about Sephardism in Caribbean writing.
1: Sure. Uh, So, yes, so the first half is organized around this idea of the double resonance of 1492 uh, that in the Caribbean context takes on these two meanings as both the moment of of the discovery, uh, Columbus's discovery of the New World, and also the moment of the Sephardic expulsion and how those two um, histories come together in the Caribbean. Um, and then uh, the term Sephardism, what I mean by that uh, is the way in which Caribbean writers uh, invoke uh, various aspects of Sephardic experience uh, in their novels. And I think part of what they're um, particularly interested in is the idea that some Sephardic Jews, uh, uh, crypto-Jews, were able to maintain uh, secretly maintain their Jewish identity while overtly um, uh, practicing a different religion and adopting different identities, and I think that has a lot of resonance for for writers who uh, come out of a background of slavery because they're interested in how uh, one survives traumatic experiences, how do you um, uh, preserve multiple identities or maintain multiple identities, and that in a way that allows for a kind of cultural continuity. Uh, but also the complex mixture of identities that we see in the Caribbean. So, for that reason, I think for them, Sephardic experience really resonated.
0: What is uh, creolization and how is it different for, from hybridity?
1: Mm. Uh, creolization uh, refers, was well, originally a term from linguistics, uh, and it refers to um, uh, the mixture of languages, of European languages with uh, African languages and other influences, uh, and the creation of, of creole. Uh, languages, uh then the, the term was uh began to be used more broadly to refer to um uh, cultural mixture and the particular cultural formations that came out of that in the Caribbean. So uh, so it's related to hybridity but it has a more specific uh Caribbean uh, meaning
0: do you have a, a text from part one that particularly resonates with you in terms of um you know coming uh showing the, the Sephardism or the um the import of race and lineage and memory um, for, for both the uh, Jews and, and the, Cari- uh, the Caribbean? Uh,
1: um, I suppose uh, Michelle Cliff's Free Enterprise is an interesting example. Um, I was very struck in that novel in the way that she uh, links together um, the, the uh, experience of the Marano with, uh, and this is a bit of a wordplay, but um, with the experience of the Maroon or escaped slave. Um, so she brings together those uh, sort of, uh, two motifs there. Um, I also, though, uh, am, uh, I would mention um, Derek Walcott's long poem, Tieplo's Hound, which I devote a chapter to, um, which is a, a poem that's a verse biography of the 19th century uh, French Impressionist painter Camille Pizarro, uh, who was uh, a Sephardic Jew from St. Thomas, as, as Derek Walcott reminds us. Um, so for Walcott, I think uh, the Sephardic experience is very rich and important as a way of um, pointing to the connections between uh, European culture and the Caribbean um, and making an argument about the way in which Caribbean culture contributes to um, to European art history in this case. So someone we think of as, uh, as a founder, as a father of French Impressionism turns out to be a Sephardic Caribbean Jew, Camille Pizarro. Um, so so in that sense, uh, Sephardism is very kind of empowering for Walcott in showing that the Caribbean is not just this marginal place in world history, but it has this important cultural contribution that it makes.
0: Right. The part two of the book is called Holocausts, um, and it addresses uh, Holocaust memory. Um, and you look at, uh, you say, texts that view the Jewish and black experiences as contiguous and intersecting. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean by that?
1: Okay. Uh, I think that often the way that, um, and and I should say, you know, for me, the first half of the book in some ways is more original because of looking at the Freudic experience in the 1492 um, piece. Those um, critics who have looked at the relationship between post-colonial writing uh, and colonial experience have usually talked about the Holocaust. So that part, in a way, is a little bit more expected. But what I think is distinctive and different about the Caribbean examples that I'm looking at is that they don't see... Um, in this case, slavery and the Holocaust as simply two kind of separate, historically distant experiences that we could draw some parallels between. Instead, what they really highlight is the intersections, the areas of overlap um, uh, and contact between these different experiences. Uh, And so, for example, the first chapter in that second half of the book looks at the experience of Jewish refugees who fled to the Caribbean and in that sense, um, uh, you know, holo- the Holocaust, um, and Holocaust memory sort of travels into the Caribbean region. Uh, and then in the chapter after that, I look in part at, uh, black victims of the Holocaust, so sort of the inverse where we see people from the Caribbean traveling to Europe, um, being caught up in the events of World War II. So in that sense, they're not historically disparate experiences, but they, uh, they come together, they're contiguous, they're intersecting in that sense.
0: So having um, written the book, what what struck you most or what do you think we need to shift our thinking about in terms of understanding diaspora?
1: Well, I think that um, and here again, I draw inspiration from Paul Gilroy, who we mentioned before. Uh, I think that the 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 experience of diaspora, but also the concept of diaspora, the way of thinking about diaspora um, is one that really has an intercultural history. Uh, it's a concept that travels back and forth between different cultural contexts. Um, and, and, and in that sense, uh, it's a, a concept that um, allows us to bring together Black and Jewish experience in the way that uh, Black thinkers draw inspiration from Jewish intellectual traditions and vice versa. So uh, diaspora can be thought about in very cross-cultural terms. Um, but I guess the other, maybe I would add to that, is that I think in terms of thinking about Blacks and Jews specifically, we need to try to think of them less as discrete, um, sort of opposition as a as a binary, um, but instead think about uh, the um, uh, blackness and Jewishness as as overlapping and intersecting. Um, so that I don't think that black writing and Jewish writing are are neatly separable categories. And and as I mentioned before, it turns out that a number of the Caribbean writers I look at, in fact, themselves have Jewish ancestry. So maybe we need to also define. How uh, redefine how we understand Jewish writing and think about uh, writers who we might not normally have identified as Jewishness or categorized in those ways um, as uh, as, uh, uh, as as something that you know can be looked at within uh, the context of Jewish literary studies.
0: Well, Sarah, we've taken up a lot of your time. So, any parting thoughts you'd like to share, and what are you working on next?
1: Uh, um, I uh, next I am on the early stages of. Uh, Pursuing further a sort of a new genre that I became interested in in the course of writing this book, which is a genre that I call Black Holocaust fiction. So it's uh, literature that looks at the experience of Black victims of the Holocaust. I think I'll be looking at, at uh, literary, but also visual representations of that experience. Um, so I would. Um, uh, so I'm hoping to pursue that further. Uh, and I just, uh, and in terms of parting thoughts, I. Um, I really hope, as I say, that this book will help to, um, um, to break down some of the barriers between these disciplines, and I hope that there will be sort of more conversations across them and more cross-fertilization in the way that the um, writers have done so productively and imaginatively.
0: Sarah, I want to thank you for being on the show today. The book is Calypso Jews, Jewishness in the Caribbean Literary Imagination, published this year by Columbia University Press. The author is Sarah Phillips Castile. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.
1: Thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure.